Hi everyone, this is Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry, uh, and I'm starting something a little bit new potentially. I just made a post on Tumblr about this. Uh, of course, by the time you hear this, it'll be a little bit after I made the post, but I'm considering starting something a little bit more like a fix slash fandom podcast, uh, because clearly I enjoy reading aloud. It's something I do a fair amount. And I think that there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this fandom right now, and I think that it might be cool, given how we do so much with fic and we do so much with fan art, to start exploring it a little bit more in audio terms. Maybe I'm alone in that, maybe I'm not. But if you listen to this, and you like it, and you would like to hear more, please get in touch with me, because I'm trying to gauge interest, because this is going to be fairly labor-intensive if I do it, and I would like to know how much there actually is in the way of interest. Because, I mean, I have fun. I would probably do this anyway. But it helps me to know if this is something that will actually be enjoyed by other people. I kind of mentioned this in my post, but just to give you an idea of what I'm considering, I sort of would like to start mixing atmospheric music in with this thing. This will be my first attempt at doing that. Uh, I will be doing that here. I mean, clearly I'm already doing that because if I've done it right, you should be hearing music. But I think it would also be cool to include things like uh, interviews. I mean, I would kind of like to do interviews. Maybe even reviews of things, recaps of episodes, just kind of general stuff about what's going on. I don't know if this would be explicitly from a team delusional perspective. I think that actually might be exclusionary in, you know, to some degree. But, I mean, hopefully soon it won't even be something we need to argue about. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff we could do. I would like to maybe do it. If you have ideas for content you might like to hear, uh, let me know. So yeah, yeah, I just, I, I really want to know if this is something that somebody besides me and like three other people who I know would be listening to, would like, would care about, would maybe even be interested in contributing to. Oh, also, I would not necessarily be reading my own fic. Uh, I've already started not doing that. Today, I won't be doing that. Today, actually, uh, the fic I'm going to be reading is not complete. I'm going to be reading the three existing chapters. It's called Life is Sweet. It's by Shuzi. And I really wanted to read it because I don't think there are a whole lot of other fics out there doing things exactly like this. I did something kind of like this with Safe Up Here With You, which you may have read. But I think that this is a side of a potential Beth return that could be explored more, and I find it interesting because in many respects I actually think it's a little more realistic. For me personally, the idea of a Beth coming back and not necessarily being, not only not being like she was, but having a very hard time readjusting and struggling a lot with that and, and, and dealing with people not necessarily understanding her and potentially dealing with mental illness or you know other kinds of actual trauma. I think that that uh, not only strikes me as more realistic, but I think that, I mean, frankly, I don't want to be down on the other kinds of scenarios, but I think it strikes me as more interesting and, you know, there's a lot more there to explore. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing with this or kind of why I wanted to do something with this. And also, and, and this, is, this is something else that you should know about me, uh, assuming I continue to read other people's stuff, I'm a pro snob. I can be jerk about it. It really matters to me that the writing is beautiful. 
And a lot of that is because I'm reading things aloud. And if I'm reading things aloud, it has to feel good. And this is an absolutely beautiful thing. And it's the beauty of it that really made me want to do this. When I read beautiful things, I like to hear them. And if that means I read them myself, so be it. So I'm going to be reading the first three chapters. Hopefully there will be more. And if there is more, I'll read those as well. This is not very long, as it stands right now. It's a little over 2,500 words. So it's the perfect size, really, for this. It's not going to take me terribly long, and that's great because in about in about 30 minutes, I actually have to go. I have to go to work. So hopefully I'll get this all done before then, and then I can mix it later. So anyway, I'm rambling. Yeah, hi. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. I hope you enjoy this. This is Life is Sweet. And it's by Shuzi. Chapter 1 I tell you life is sweet, in spite of the misery. Natalie Merchant They don't let her hold Judith. She suspects it was a decision made unilaterally, behind her back. No one ever mentions it, the way they clutch the baby, going on toddler now. Tighter, whenever Beth walks into the room. She hasn't been warned away. Not in words. It isn't like she'd want to hold it anyway, feels a thrum of disgust at the thought of handling something so small and sticky and helpless. She takes a job on the wall. It's the compromise she makes with Maggie. She'd rather be in one of the groups ranging into the woods, setting traps, and patrolling for people, peaceful or not. But Maggie nags at her day and night, and eventually even in the horror of Beth dreams, and Beth gives in so suddenly she's beyond earshot before the group starts speaking again. Speaking about her always about her, their broken doll. She's useful on the wall, she does admit. Only a few people in the community have any skill with a bow, and none of them have big sisters with sticks up their asses, so they tend to go far afield. With her bow, Beth can kill from the wall as well as patrol it, and at the end of every day, when she goes out to collect her arrows, she can look to the west and dream of leaving, going somewhere. Not back to the hospital, not to the farm, or the prison. Not somewhere the walls know her. Not somewhere she's followed by petty little whispers, either. Not somewhere that people look at her like she's killed someone, everyone they know. Not somewhere she feels like an outsider, even inside herself. She always goes back in the end, has her time for wishing, and leaves it behind as she's left so much else beyond the wall, leaves it, and returns to her perch for the final job of the day. With winter coming, they don't range as far as they used to. Stick within a day's travel, two at most, looking more for supplies than people at this point. That Beth is glad of. That she can use. No more wailing babies or crippled old women or men who look at her like she's something to be hunted, as if she doesn't know exactly where to cut them for them to bleed out in moments. Food. Medicine. Blankets. Weapons. Weapons most of all. Being on the wall gives Beth first pick of everything, and she takes exactly and as much as she wants. What are they going to do? Stop her? Once, when she's picking out cartons of condensed milk, she feels Rick watching her. He does that a lot. They all do, but few more than him. Like he's searching for something in her. Something he's forgotten in himself. Something he can recognize. The kids need some too, Beth. Fuck the kids, Beth thinks. Fuck the kids and fuck their parents and fuck you, Rick Grimes, for thinking I should care. She doesn't say anything, though, because he's here, too. He isn't looking at her, 
He's doing his job unloading crates, distributing supplies to the ones who need it most. Some nights he grabs a can of fruit and a cup of watery coffee and heads right back out again to check his snares and the outside of the wall for breaches. This place will never feel like hers. She doesn't think it feels like his either. She could take her haul and go home with it, but she doesn't. She climbs to the top of the wall in the fading light, bags of supplies surrounding her, and sits with her legs dangling off the platform, only her palms and the edge of her butt there to hang on. She sits. She sits, and she waits for him to come home. Chapter 2 She arrived to tears and jubilations, and more human contact than it felt like she'd had in years. Decades. She flinched back at first, but she endured it. She had to, and not just for their sakes. She didn't lose everything when the bullet tore through her brain. She didn't lose memories and faces and associations. Not even affect, not really. She remembers how she used to love hugs, would have hugged everyone she came across if she could. It wasn't just about tactile comfort for her. She did it for what the other person got out of it. Hugging someone and feeling the world slipping from their shoulders. Hugging Maggie, her father. Him. Him most of all, really. Like so many things, him most of all. She remembers those feelings, but she doesn't feel them now. Doesn't feel them when Maggie dragged her to her knees in a suffocating embrace that Beth just barely kept herself from slicing her way out of. Didn't enjoy it when Rick tugged her tight and kissed her cheek. Didn't feel it as she was passed from Carol to Carl and back again. She slumped there silently like a horse about to bolt. And she stared at him. She'd still been in Maggie's arms when he raced into the street, crossbow raised, and ready to face the commotion. How strange it must be, Beth remembers herself thinking to hear cries of joy again. She saw him come out of the houses like they had once come from the woods, bursting as if through clenching vines, entire body thrumming and jumping with power and intent and urgency. He was more weapon than man at that point. So intense was his gaze as it flickered through the crowd, drawing information, lowering his guard at what he found. She saw every moment of it happen as if she were merely feet from him and not yards, as if they were as close as they had been in that hallway. She didn't feel anything when he finally picked her out of the crowd. She didn't feel anything when his eyes caught on her face and everything inside him seemed to empty, spilling into the street like intestines from his gut and leaving his vacant body to stumble against the building, crush his crossbow between himself and the brick. He didn't seem to notice the pain his arm was in, which Beth estimated was something great. He looked at her like he had been crushed beneath a mountain, like a man who had crossed the desert and finally laying down to die. She felt nothing. The crowd seeped and swelled between them, sometimes hiding him, sometimes not, and when revealed, he would be blinking rapidly as if attempting to wake himself from a dream. And it was like a dream for Beth, the touch of so many people, the sounds, the colors of civilization, and she sensed a beast rising in her chest, feral and frightening, even dimly to her, and she came to wish a bullet would arc through the air and kill her all over again. No one cared. No one listened for sounds beyond their own mouths, sights beyond her shadows strong and whole on the ground. They kissed her and embraced her, and she put herself away in a room with a box under levels upon levels of concrete, alone, dry, quiet, safe. Daryl! Daryl, look! Look who it is! She flickered a little back to life at that name, pressed her ear to the wall, listened, 
crawled to the telescope to the outside world and peered through. The crowd had parted, and like the road to Canaan between the walls of the ocean, the break guided her eyes straight to him. There was something new flickering in his eyes as the gaze of the crowd fell on him, pulled him in with its indrawn breath. Beth didn't have the energy to decipher that flickering, nor the interest, but still she held on to it, held her own breath to see what he would do. He pushed off from the wall, only shaking a little. His crossbow hung limply at his side. His back was straight, and his eyes a solid wall of storm as he stole their breaths and walked away with them. The crowd was silent, blessedly silent, and Beth took the opportunity to push herself off the ground and in standing caught one more glimpse of him as he rounded the corner and was gone. It remained a blur after that getting her housed, getting her cleaned, treating her like a doll needing polish and primping and care. She held her tongue through most of it, averted her eyes, longed for them to leave so she could curl herself in a ball and touch her scars and think of dying. They did leave, eventually. She did think about dying, eventually. She thought about seeing the MRI of her own skull, her own brain, the path the bullet carved through it like a railroad through the wilderness. She thought about coming upon children's corpses and retching. She thought about coming upon children's corpses and taking the knives they had brandished so uselessly. She thought about herself as a corpse, what it was like to be dead, what it still was. She thought about the sea, and she thought about it parting, and she thought about him. She thought about his gaze, steady on her while all else wavered. She thought about him seeing her, seeing her, and walking away curled into a ball, touching her scars, thinking of him. She felt something then. She felt gratitude. Chapter 3 Her shoulders always relax when she sees him come back through the gates, and sometimes she'll stay and watch the sun finish setting, and sometimes she'll walk home with him. She gets the sense that he walks with her whether she wants him to or not. She isn't as good as he is out in the world, not yet, but she's learning. She learned, in those months on her own, how to know when she's being stalked. And she thrills to it, a little, that sense of predation, so different from the hovering gazes she's used to. Drink this, wear that, remember to eat and take care of yourself, and why don't you brush your hair, Bethy? You look so pretty with your hair down, Beth. I bet she used to be a pretty girl before she got fucked in the head. She isn't fucked in the head. She ain't right, Maggie. You know she'll get better. We'll get her better. She just ain't the same. We'll fix her. She feels like prey either way, but at least this quiet is honest. Based on the gaze alone, on stealth and skill, and his eyes like laser beams in the darkening streets, her own steps growing quieter and quieter until she could be floating, borne up like some son of God on the water. Don't you believe in God anymore, Bethy? He brought you back. He brought you back to us. Isn't that a miracle? That's no miracle, Beth thinks. Doesn't say, but thinks. No one brought me anywhere. Not you, not him. Not you, she doesn't say. She walks with him. He's quiet, very quiet as they walk, and she watches his feet that glide so easily across the pavement, tries to match her shorter stride to his. He doesn't look away because he doesn't look at her to begin with. She likes that. She likes that he isn't the negative space of an aborted conversation, that she doesn't feel the force of his remembrance pressing in on her skin until her bones pop through her pores. She suspects he remembers her. She knows he does. 
She remembers him sometimes, the way one remembers a face as they saw weeks past in the crowd. No distinctive features, no reason to recall, but once this man was something to her, and now his nothingness is a comfort. I made Maggie cry again, Beth says. She feels his glance on her, but that's all it is, a glance. By the time she's turned, he's turned away. What'd you do? Daryl asks. Beth shrugs. Told her I shot a walker that looked like Daddy. Daryl is quiet for several moments. Beth can almost hear the gears turning in his head. Not to temper what he's about to say, she doesn't think. He's never been careful with his words, but he's careful with his thoughts. Beth wants to know what he thinks. Couldn't have been him, he finally says. Body don't work without the head. Michonne got him anyway. That's what I said, Beth says, rolling her eyes. She's such a drama queen. They've come to the houses now, across the street from each other. Daryl on the left, Beth on the right. They stand in the middle of the road, facing each other, and Beth is used to people avoiding her gaze, but Daryl refuses to even blink. She misses him, Daryl says. His voice is rougher than usual, softer, the way she remembers from the kitchen that night. The candles had felt so warm on her skin, stealing into the sleepiness behind her eyes as her dreams of a full stomach were fulfilled. She'd been surprised how large Daryl made their portions, her portion specifically, but she didn't complain. She remembers strange cramps in her stomach as she looked across the feast of cola and pig's feet, and him standing at the head of it, ready to do anything for her. Everything. He has the same look here in the middle of the road. But the world's a lot smaller now. She shouldn't, Beth says. It's easier. He blinks at her and then looks away. Not too far off, just to the left of her jaw, moving beyond her shoulder, skittering around her outline like he's tracing her shadow, cutting her profile from a piece of cloth. Yeah, he says. Yeah, it's easier. He shifts his crossbow on his shoulder, the movement scraping a flake of dried blood from his leather, sending it spiraling toward the ground. Don't always have a choice, though. No, she says. Sometimes you don't. Their eyes meet for just a moment before he turns his down, settling it on the black of his boots. He scuffles one of them back and forth as if to stir up a swirl of dust. They stand on concrete, though, not the forest floor, and all he stirs is a scraping on the pavement. I... What? she asks. Her patience is running thin, and she lets it show. He doesn't talk to her like this, like each word is a grasp or some conversation they had before, some sentiment she doesn't share now. It makes her spine tingle and her feet itch, and she wants to run, and she never wants to run from him. He isn't looking at her, at least, and is squinting toward the nearly set sun, its rays sparkling in his eyes like light off glass. Night, Beth. Then he's turned around, striding to the lot and up the porch, and through the door that shuts with a click. Beth waits for the light to go on in his room before she turns around herself. She knows he'll look out after her, and she wants him to see her go inside, too. There's symmetry there. Balance. No jagged edge, no room to question, to judge. Just the sight of his back. The sight of hers. Walking away. So yeah, that's what there is so far. 
like I said, uh, when there's more, uh, I'll cover it if I can. Uh, in the meantime, if this is something that you enjoyed, if this is something that you enjoy, if this is something that you'd like to hear more of, please, please let me know. Uh, my Tumblr is dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. Drop something in my ask box. Send me fan mail. Uh, let me know. Let me know if this is something you want. If this is something you want, this is something that I will do. Because like I said, I enjoy it. For now, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this is Dynamic Symmetry. I am signing off, and hopefully I will speak to you soon.